Today we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 9. If you have a Bible, let's open up there. As we continue our journey through the Proverbs, uh, this is a, a shorter chapter, and so who knows, maybe we'll get out a little early. I know you guys are bummed about that, but um, <laughs> Proverbs chapter 9 is uh, really the, the final chapter in which, as I mentioned to you in the beginning stages, really uh, in the 31 chapters, the first nine chapters are more of an invitation. There's, they're more of a call. Hey, come and study wisdom. You know, it's an invitation uh, from God. You know, one of the things I noticed in life, and I don't know if you guys have seen this or not, is we are constantly being invited to things. Uh, we're constantly being invited it could be a birthday party. I got invited uh, to a graduation uh, celebration. Um, uh, you know, you might get invited to go uh, walking with your friends or, or whatever, even in, in invited to church. Every single day, God invites us to spend time with him. We're going to see that today. And so we have choices to make, you know. When we wake up in the morning, it's like God is inviting us, hey, uh, why don't you come and spend some time in the Word and in prayer? And all those invitations, we're making decisions of whether or not we're going to you know, respond in, in the negative or the positive. But not only are we being invited by the Lord, we're also being invited, unfortunately, by the enemy. And you guys are going to see it around you, man. You're going to see it in so many different ways. Uh, the other day, my wife and I, we went on Hulu and uh, we, we watched an old program that we used to watch back in the day. And I guess this was a time before we were Christians. And we thought it was like an innocent program. And we, we turned it on and, man, uh, she pointed it out uh, quicker than I did. Now, there's a lot of sexual stuff here. There's a, a lot of things here that at the end of the day, we really shouldn't be watching. But what the enemy does is he invites us in and he begins to lower our standards. And before you know it, we're responding to things like that. And so we got a choice to make. Will we respond to this call of God to be a people of wisdom? And like I, I mentioned to you, and I'm going to say it probably every time we get together, there's a proverb for every day. And I encourage you, it takes maybe 10 minutes, read a proverb every day. And you watch what God will do in your life. And so today, in one sense, if you wanted to invite, uh, in, uh, if you wanted to outline the, the chapter, we're going to see in verses 1 through 12, the Father's invitation uh, to direction. And so the Father's in, invitation to, to wisdom and how he'll give us direction. And then we're going to see in verses 13 through 18, folly's invitation to destruction. And so notice where you read beginning in verse 1. It's wisdom, wisdom's, uh, the Father's invitation uh, to direction. He says in verse 1, Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her meat. She has mixed her wine. She has also furnished her table. She has sent out her maidens. And she cries out from the highest places of the city, Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. As for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Forsake foolishness and live and go in the way of understanding. And here's that an invitation, huh? 
I mean, here we see that wisdom, it says, has built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. Now, the previous chapter, we saw how God uh, used wisdom to, to build the world, so to speak. And now, in, in one sense, they're continuing that thought process to say, since God used wisdom to build the world, now we should use will, wisdom to build our house, to, to build our lives. You know, you look around and, you know, I don't know if you guys have any family members or friends or, or maybe you see things on the news and that guy gets busted and that one over there, you know, drunk driving, they end up killing somebody or just the, the divorce or, or just the chaos. The things that happen, the way that sometimes families fall apart or they fall away, you know, from the Lord and, and it just breaks your heart because... Somewhere along the line, they just did not exercise wisdom. They didn't build their house on this foundation that we're talking about. You know, here we see that wisdom has built her house. Uh, she's hewn out her seven pillars. And of course, we know that seven in one sense is God's number. It's the number of completion or, or perfection. And so there's that connection to the previous chapter and what God wants to do is for us to come and learn and, and eat and dine and, and be here in this place where we can gain a heart of wisdom as well. You know, what a foundation we can build our lives on when we build it on wisdom. And really, at the end of the day, I think the beauty of the Bible. You know, I'm not, I'm not ashamed to say that, you know, sometimes people might come to Calvary Chapel on Monty and they, they might not really like it a whole lot. And I, and I think that sometimes it's because they're not really interested in the Bible. And I don't have a problem with that. You know, they might be interested in some type of more, you know, give me more psychology or sociology or give me more sensationalism or give me more like, you know, some of the other stuff that the world has to offer. But, but I, I've learned over the years, I learned it from my pastor and his pastor that we're just going to give you the word. And people that develop an appetite for the word will hunger for it. And so, you know, that's what we see here. Um, you know, when we see, when you see the, the word of God as our foundation, then what ends up happening is if we build our life on that, then God will be glorified. You know, the, the word of God, the perfect word of God, the seven pillars, so to speak. You know, maybe you've heard those phrases, the seven pillars of wisdom or the house that that wisdom builds. This is the origin of those sayings. And, and when you think of that foundation, I can't help but think of Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 7. Uh, if you want to turn there, you can. If not, I'll read it to you. But maybe you're familiar with this section. In Matthew chapter 5 through 7 is the Sermon on the Mount in which Jesus gives, man, the, the Christian manifesto, the greatest uh, commands for us for, as Christians. It's so cool. To read, but then at the end, it says in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 24, Jesus said, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does, does them, I will liken him to, build, to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man, think about this, who built his house on, a sand, on the sand. 
And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. You see, the, the whole aspect of having this solid foundation where your life, your house, won't fall is as we hear the word of God and we apply it. And that's what application is. You, you love it, you learn it in order to live it, you read it in order to heed it, you find out what the Bible teaches, you learn Bible doctrine so that you can connect the dots, right? And as we obey Jesus' words, not just hear them, not just like them, but as we live them, then we're building on this foundation in which our house will not fall. And that's what we see back in, in Proverbs chapter 9, that God is offering us a, a good house, you know, with a good foundation to stand the testings of time. You know, he's offering us a, a good life where there's good meat and good wine and good bread at this good table, right? That, that's this whole section right here. You know, Psalm 23 and verse 5, it says that when the Lord is our shepherd, we won't lack. It says that he prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. So, you know, we're invited to this, you guys. Hey, come over to my house and eat. Come over to my house and, and this fellowship. Come over to my house and let's learn, you know, the word of the Lord. That's what God is calling us to. We can be with one who is wisdom. It's calling to us, the humble, the hungry, to come and, and eat meat. Not just milk, but, but meat, the solid food of the scriptures, the, the deep truths, not just the surface stuff. And, you know, when we're in, invited each and every day, whatever, sometimes it's a Thursday night or a Sunday night, it might be different times God's inviting you. Then we have, you know, the decision of whether or not we're going to respond. You know, some people are young in life. Some are young in the Lord. This is so important for you. If you're a young person or maybe you're young as a Christian, and at the end of the day, it's important for all of us, isn't it? We never reach a point where we don't need to hear these things. We never reach a point where we've arrived. We should all, I think, be teachable and humble and responsible to wisdom's call. I mean, you look at this. Again, look at verse 2. She has slaughtered her meat. She has mixed her, her wine. And some, might, some say that that is actually a weaker wine. Uh, she has also furnished her table. Uh, she has sent out her maidens. Those are missionaries. She cries out from the highest places, Hey, whoever's simple, let him turn in here. As for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, Come and eat of my bread and, and drink of the wine I have mixed. You know, forsake foolishness and live. You know, when you look at this spread and when you look at this bread, I think for those of you who know the Bible a little bit, you know that the Bible is compared to bread, huh? You give us this day our, our, our daily bread. I think there's an aspect of Matthew chapter 4 when the devil is told Jesus to turn the stones to bread. And Jesus said, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds forth from the mouth of God. This is our bread, so to speak. And so I think there is that aspect where God's saying, come, let's open up the Bible. Let's, let's read it. I think that's part of that wisdom's call. But also, of course, the bread is in reference to Jesus himself. You know, Jesus said in John six thirty five, I am the bread of life. 
He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. You know, I was so blessed to see a couple of people on Sunday morning give their life to Christ. And it was just so cool to see them respond to the invitation. And when you read the Gospels, it's interesting how oftentimes Jesus would invite people. Uh, there was uh, the one time where John the Baptist, he was pointing to Jesus, and then a couple of the disciples, they went up to him and they said, Hey, Jesus, uh, what's up? And then Jesus, uh, they asked, said, Jesus, where are you staying? And Jesus said, Come and see. And, and there was an invitation there, come and see. I mean, what a blessing that these two disciples said yes to the invitation. I mean, there was, a, there was a one time when Zacchaeus, he was a short guy, and, and he heard that Jesus was walking through town, and he couldn't see him because he was too short. So he went, climbed up a sycamore tree in order to, to see Jesus. And then when Jesus uh, passed by him, imagine that, you know, the Lord said, Hey, Zacchaeus, uh, come down from there. I'm going to eat at your house tonight. And Zacchaeus responded to the invitation. There was a time when the guys were fishing, you know, and they're probably making good money, especially James and John. And and the Lord told them, hey, come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And they left their nets, and they followed him. You know, responding to the invitation in Matthew chapter 11, come to me, Jesus said, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I mean, at the end of the day, this is really what the Christian life is all about. God is inviting us from day one to get saved and, and from there on every single day to draw near to, to get sanctified. You know, when you think of the bread, you can't help but think of, of Jesus and, and, and even when you think of the bread and the wine that are mentioned here in Proverbs chapter 9, what does that remind you guys of? Communion, huh? You know, it's not a coincidence that these are the elements of communion according to 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 26 when Jesus instituted it. You know, when you, when you think of the Lord calling us to, to this meal and calling us to this wisdom and calling us to this life, calling us to this table, you know, you... You think of the bread and the Bible. You think of the bread and Jesus. You, you think of the wine and his blood. But not only that, you think of the wine and the Holy Spirit. You know, when in one sense, the Holy Spirit was the new wine that, that they were to drink. And, and the wine, if you read Ephesians 5.18, it's interesting. The Bible says, And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And so don't get drunk on wine, get drunk on the Holy Spirit, so to speak. And of course, we're not talking about a bad drunk. We're talking about uh, uh, under the influence where the Holy Spirit gets a hold of your life and it's not you anymore. It's not your normal you. It's like when you used to drink and it made you do things that were different, that beyond you. Now when you drink the Holy Spirit, so to speak, now when you're, when you're under that anointing of God, he, he just moves you and He makes you a different person. I mean, that's kind of what this is all about when He says, come to my house. I got bread, man, that'll blow your mind, that'll save you. I got wine that'll wash you, that'll fill you, that'll empower you. I mean, this is what we see, I believe, as we're reading through this proverb. 
you know, whatever you do, don't read this and think, oh, the, you know, they're, they're talking about getting drunk right here. They say it's okay to drink wine. There's that worldly mentality, right? There's the people who have their minds in the gutter. They're just looking for some uh, Bible verse that will justify them going and getting drunk. But that's not what we're talking about right here. The, the Proverbs, is interesting, actually teaches the contrary to that. Uh, we're going to see later in Proverbs chapter 20 in verse 1, it says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is, is not wise. Proverbs 23, 29 through 30, it says, Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long at the wine, those who go and search of mixed wine. And so some might read those verses and say, oh, it's okay to drink as long as we're not led astray by it, as long as we don't linger long at it, it's okay to drink. And, and, but then the Proverbs say in Proverbs 31 verse 4, it is not for kings, old mule, it is not for kings to drink wine, not for princes intoxicating drink. And what God is saying there is this, if you're, you're a leader, you have any sphere of influence, and we are kings, by the way, we studied that in Revelation chapter 1, verse 6 on Sunday. You know, it's not for us to be drinking wine. We don't need that to make us more comfortable. We don't need that for any reason. We do need the Holy Spirit. So that's why he's, he's mentioning the wine. It's a spiritual setting. It's a, it's a spiritual supper. It's a spiritual high. Remember on the day of Pentecost? I mean, it was just so cool. They were acting so different. They were speaking in tongues. Uh, to, to where the guys that saw them, they said, oh, they're just drunk. And Peter's all, we're not drunk. We're, this is what the book of Joel is all about. We're under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And I tell you what, we're living in days where that we have to be under the Holy Spirit power. We have to be plugged in. We really do. God is calling us to that. You know, if you come to Wisdom's table, you'll hear the, the truth, how we need to put off the old man and, and put on the new man. Look what it says right there in verse 6 again. Forsake foolishness and live. I mean, we used to steal. Now we don't steal. Now we work and we give. You know, we used to drink and, and be high and do drugs, but now we're high on God. You know, we used to get mad and, and get even. Now we show grace. Now we turn the other cheek. We, we forsake foolishness and, and we live. And that's so cool when we see that happen in life. You know, earlier we read in Proverbs one twenty three, it says, Turn at my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. You know, it's important for us, I think, to get with the Lord and just ask the Lord, is, is there anything that I am doing in my life that I need to turn from? Because we might be living in sin and we might be grieving or quenching the Holy Spirit. And, and, you know, when we're serious about the Lord, you know, we get with him and we ask him, Lord, show me. Psalm 139, search me, O God. Know me. Is there any wicked way in me? 
Because, you know, you might be here tonight or you might be watching the live stream tonight and you might be saying to yourself or thinking to yourself, at the end of the day, you're not really living that life, that there's something missing, something wrong. And, but you know how to go through the motions and you know how to just kind of, you know, continue on. But you know deep down inside that something's missing. Maybe God is saying this right here in your life it needs to go. And if you want me to move, then that right there, you need to turn, you need to forsake that foolishness so that you might live. It might be a relationship that you have that's not of the Lord. I mean, the Lord will show you the things that you need to do in order for Him to pour out His Spirit upon us. And so, like I said earlier, the way that I would kind of outline in this is the Father's invitation you know, for direction. Now, when we get to chapter 10 and all the way to chapter 38, for the most part, you guys are going to see little short proverbs, you know, for the most part. You know, up to this point, it hasn't been that way. All this time, it's been more of an invitation uh, for God, you know, to call, he's calling us to wisdom, to study, right, to, to, to learn these things. Um, but uh, what we find now is that as he's inviting us, we're going to look at some samples of things that he wants to show us. And so really the way that it works as a Christian is that wisdom is a tree of life. It's a tree of life. And so, you know, when you begin to study the Bible, when you begin to study the book of Proverbs, it's like you get this tree with all these different fruits, with all these different principles. And we're going to see some of them tonight. And so we read here in, in verse 7, direction with others. And we're going to see a lot of that has to do with when our life as, as Christians and when we get wise, we start learning about relationships. We start learning about how to, to deal with different types of people. Any, any of you guys have any weird people in your life? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> you know, we're going to we deal with different. How do we do it? The, the Lord will show us. He gives us an example right here in verse 7. He says, he who corrects a scoffer gets shame for himself. And he who rebukes a wicked man only harms himself. Do not correct a scoffer, lest he hate you. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. And so, you know, times where, you know, you see people, and you kind of want to correct them, um, but you need to be led by the Lord, or maybe even sometimes when we're corrected, how will we take it? How do we deal with these relationships? We need that type of direction. Here we see the scoffer and the wicked are, are mentioned, and sadly they're related, referring to those who are obviously not open. They're not open. They don't want to hear it. They scoff at the scriptures. They, they mock at the message. What we, what we see here is that if you have someone like that in, the, in your life, if you correct or rebuke, not being led by the Holy Spirit, then you'll suffer shame and harm, even hatred. You know, if you are trying to kick that door down and you're trying to you know, share with that person and God saying it's not time yet, then you might actually make things worse. You know, a lot of times we think, well, I should be able to say anything at any time. But, but the Bible, it doesn't teach that. 
I think sometimes as missionaries or pastors or maybe even as parents, we think that our mouths should always be running. That we, we have that, you know, responsibility. That the Holy Spirit needs us. That whenever we see anything that is wrong or anyone who needs to be corrected, that we're called to put them in their place. But, but what we see as we begin to learn uh, wisdom is that it's not, it's not like that, right? And I'm not saying don't be bold or, or afraid, but let's just make sure that we're also wise, right? Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1, it says, To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. And then in verse 7, it says, A time to keep silence and a time to speak. You know, he's saying if they're like going to mock the message, if they're going to scoff at the scriptures... You know, maybe it's not time for you to speak. And so you have to be led, you know, by the Lord. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 7, 6, Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. You know, sometimes people just won't, you know, listen. They're, they're not open and God's not calling you you know, to share with them. And I know that sounds kind of, you know, crazy, but you have to trust the Lord on these things. You know, I remember in Paul's uh, second missionary journey, as he's just traveling and he's doing his best to share the Lord, uh, it says that he tried to go north and the Holy Spirit didn't permit him. He tried to go south and the Holy Spirit didn't permit him. He wanted to just share, but the Holy Spirit said no. Why? Because there's someone else they needed to share with. And you're going to see even that principle in this that you might spend a whole bunch of time wasting God's time when God wanted you to go and share with other people have any of you guys ever gone street witnessing just out of curiosity sharing okay we all gotta end early we're gonna go tonight at street witnessing (laughs) it is one of the most wonderful things in the whole world to go and share the Lord on the streets no but sometimes when you're out there you don't have a lot of time you might have an hour an hour and a half or whatever And the enemy might trick you into getting caught up with someone who just wants to argue. They're not even open. And and what God is just kind of saying is that, you know what, identify that, that this, you know, and then move on. That's what we have to see. Sometimes the timing is not right. Sometimes the setting is not right. Sometimes they are just not ready. And so God is going to have to break up that fallow ground and soften their heart and humble them so that they'll be open to the word. Now, Proverbs 25, 11, it says, A word of fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. And so we just need wisdom and direction in dealing with others. You know, uh, what a, a blessing, however, when we're able to give instruction to a wise man and he just he grows in wisdom. Or, or, or if you teach a, a just man, since he's teachable, he learns even more. You know, there's, there's a lot of different scenarios when you're considering how you're going to use God's time, who you're going to share with, who you're going to spend time with, who you're going to disciple, who you're going to pour into. There's a lot of things to take into consideration. You know, in a setting like this, a church setting, you don't really worry about it too much. You're just giving the word. But there are different uh, scenarios, right? 
I remember one time in the Gospel of John chapter 2 where Jesus didn't waste his words or time teaching a certain bunch of people because he knew that their hearts weren't right. You read John chapter 2, 23 through 25, it says, and he did not commit himself to them. Why? Because they, they weren't going to be a productive time uh, for him to be pouring into them. And so these were people whose faith was superficial. And so the Lord will show you, you know, how to work it all out later in Luke 23, verse 9. We find that Jesus didn't say a word to Herod. Why? Because it wasn't, this guy wasn't open. And the Lord knew it. Uh, of course, in reading this, you know, I, I would say that's probably the emphasis. But I also think that when you turn it around, it, it's also important for us to know the other direction, that um, how do you feel when someone corrects you, when someone rebukes you? Any of you guys like that? You're like, yeah, that's so cool. <laughs> well, we should if we're wise, right? Notice again verse 8, rebuke a wise man and he will love you. I mean, when you get rebuked, I mean, you know, and it, it has to be done, I think, in a certain way, um, even if your enemy criticizes you or rebukes you or corrects you, even if it's someone you know doesn't like you, sometimes there's some substance to what they're saying. So what you do is you sift through it. You don't just reject it. You don't close your heart to it. But when it's somebody you know who loves you, I mean, you know, my wife, uh, thank God for my wife, out of all the people in the world, you know, I know that she uh, corrects me. And, and I'll, be, I'll, I'll admit my pride, it kicks in a lot of times. I'll be, what are you talking about, woman? You know, <laughs> you know but um, then I get with the Lord and the Lord just says, you know she's right. You know she's right. And I thank God for her. If you have a spouse that, that corrects you, you know, thank God for, for them. Right here, when that wise man gets rebuked, it says that he loves that person. Or when, you know, you give instruction to a wise man, he just gets wiser. You teach a just man, and he increases in learning. And so it's important for us. And this is probably one of the most difficult lessons to learn because nobody really likes getting corrected. But it's important for us to, to be teachable. Because that's the only way we're going to grow. You have blind spots. I have blind spots. I have things in my life that I don't see that my wife sees or my friend sees. Or that, you know, the Lord is teaching me through some Bible study that I'm listening to. And, and the guy is just, man, hitting that spot that needs to be hit. You know, thank God for that. You know, one person said, the trouble with us is that we would rather be destroyed by compliments rather than saved by criticism. And so God can honestly use correction or confrontation for lasting transformation. How many of you here, you really, you just really want to be like Jesus? That's what we need, huh? And so the Lord takes that chisel and it hurts, but praise God for that. Psalm 141 and verse 5, it says, Let the righteous strike me, and it shall be a kindness. And let him rebuke me. It shall be as excellent oil. Let my head not refuse it. And so the Lord, he's calling us to, to wisdom. 
and, and direction with, with others. And we're going to see a lot of that in the Proverbs. And of course, direction with God. Look at, at verse 10. It says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. We're already talking about wisdom with others and stuff. But man, if there ain't no fear of the Lord, then you know we don't even have the beginning stages, the ABCs of what wisdom is. And you have that relationship with others and all the people that God will bring into your life. And we need wisdom in that. But the key to all relationships is our relationship with God. And, and what we see here, we're going to see it uh, over and over again. Uh, the fear of the Lord is a phrase found 25 times in the Bible, 14 times in the book of Proverbs. Why? Because it's the key to wisdom, right? And, and what we find here is that this fear is a, re, a respect and, and reverence for God. It's an awe of the Almighty. You know, if I were to go and, and fall into sexual sin, if I were to go and, and, you know, have a drink or get drunk or do drugs or, you know, throw down F-bombs, or if I were to go and, and do something like that, I mean, man, I'd be afraid of how I would, I would hurt God. But I also would be afraid how he would hurt me. And that's a good thing, you know, because I'm his son and I'm not going to get away with sin. And so there's always that fear. I don't know if you have that fear in your heart, but if you're a Christian, you should have a fear that you just do not want to ever sin. Never. Now, we know we're not going to be perfect. We know that. But, but, but at the same time, we try to be. You know, I don't want to sin. I don't want to think a single bad thought. You know, as I'm scrolling through my phone or whatever, I don't want to let my eyes lock on any image of a girl who's not dressed right or something like that. You know, I don't want to post anything on social media that would make anyone stumble. I mean, there's this fear of the Lord that we have because, like I said earlier, part of it is that reverence and respect and awe of the Almighty where I'm afraid I don't want to hurt Him but at the same time, I'm afraid that, that he might, you know, hurt me. You know, we saw in Proverbs 3, verse 12, that whom the Lord loves, he, he disciplines, right? And in Luke chapter 12, verse 4 through 5, uh, Jesus said, And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. And that's what's wrong with our world today. And that's what's wrong with our church today. In, in, in general, there's no fear of God, right? I mean, I was reading one report, and I don't know, I didn't look up you know, all the details on it, but they're talking about a movie that they're going to make in which the character who plays Jesus is going to be uh, a, a transgender female or something like that. And I just thought, how could they do this to my Lord, the one who made them and, and redeemed them? How could they do that? Because there is no fear of God in their life. I, I, I read something today, and again, I, I don't have all the details on it, but you guys probably know this, that when you don't have God as your authority, then who's the authority? The world, the, your, yourself, 
And what we have at that point is this cultural relativism. And so, you know, they say that, you know, it's, it's okay to, for a man to be with a man and a woman to be with a woman. Who said it's okay? Not God, but, but the world did. They did. And so eventually, and it's just inevitable. Well, this is the feelings they have. This is the attraction that they have, right? You can't stop love. That's what they say. They don't know what love is. But what if a man's attracted to a child? That, that's his genuine, honest attraction. Well, well, the world is coming to a place where eventually, because there are no absolutes, because there's no fear of God, because there's no existence of God in their life, then you know, eventually they're like, well, as long as it's mutual, that's where we're headed. That's why the Bible talks about when God destroyed the Canaanites, he destroyed them for things like that. He destroyed them for the way they killed their babies. He destroyed them for the way that they even had sex with animals. Bestiality. But when you take God out of the equation, you know, then the Bible talks about here every man does what's right in his own eyes. You know, there has to be a healthy fear of God. This is the beginning of wisdom. And I, and I like what he says right here in verse 10, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And so wisdom in dealing with others, wisdom in, in, in your relationship with God, to, to fear Him and to know Him, right? I mean, to know Him in a personal, intimate relationship that you have with God. I mean, I'm sure some of you guys today, when you were praying, maybe some of you here today, you set aside some time and you got on your knees and you prayed, and you sensed God's presence. And he began to lay things on your heart. Why? Because you know him. Because you have a relationship with him. Throughout the day, there were things that he said to you, and you heard him. Why? Because you know him. This is how salvation begins, according to John seventeen three, And this is the eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And so, you know, we know the Lord. That's how we get saved. One day people are going to stand before God and they, they're going to think they're saved, but they weren't saved. Why? Because they never really knew the Lord. They never had a relationship with God. And that's why we read in Matthew seven twenty two and 23, Jesus said, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And so we are, the Bible says in Second Peter 3.18, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You guys, I, I want to encourage you as, we're, as we come to this table where there's the meat and there's the wine and there's this bread that we would know that when we're talking about this relationship that we have with God, that we should fear Him and we should get to know Him more and more. See, this direction for dealing with others is direction for God and there's even direction for yourself. Look at verse 11. It says, for by me, your days will be multiplied and years of life will be added to you. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. And if you scoff, you will bear it alone. It's, it's direction you know, for yourself. 
It really is. Uh, of course, we know that not everyone who is wise lives long. Uh, Jesus died at the age of 33, and yet the Bible says that in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in Colossians 2 in verse 3. Jim Elliot, he died at the age of 28 as a missionary to the Alka Indians, and yet he was beyond his years in wisdom. And so, you know, he says, for by me your days will be multiplied and years of life will be added to you. It's not necessarily a personal promise, but it's a general principle. That generally speaking, when you uh, live a life of wisdom, you're going to avoid those things. You're going to avoid a lifestyle that would cut yourself short. That's what he's saying here. You're going to benefit from that. Think about that. You're going to have more years to do what? To go on vacation? Well, maybe. That's part of it. You're going to have more years to do what? Paul said to labor. You're going to have more years to serve the Lord. Right? That's the only reason we want to live long, really. I mean, also because I'm hoping maybe one day I'll see my grandchildren or something. That would be really cool. It might take a while, but, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, this is why we want to live long. But you're going to benefit from it. And, uh, and, and it's interesting what he says in verse 12. If you're wise, you're wise for yourself. And if you scoff, you know, you're going to bear it alone. You know, we, we make our decisions. You make the decision whether or not you're going to read your Bible in the morning or whether or not you're going to read your Bible every day. You make the decision whether or not you're going to really spend time in prayer. You make the decision whether or not you're going to be in in church service if God's calling you to or whatever, watching on the live stream. Even that requires a tremendous amount of discipline. You make the decision. We make the decisions in life. And then our decisions make us. You are, we are the product of what we've eaten, right? You know, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 5, it says, For each one shall bear his own load, speaking of our personal prosperity or punishment. It's interesting the way that it's read it, it reads in the New Living Translation. It says, For we are each responsible for our own conduct. And that's what we read here. And so it's kind of cool, you know, um, when you are invited to wisdom, you're invited by the Father to get this direction so that you can, we're going to see a lot more, but this is just a little bit. You're going to be able to deal wisely with others. You're going to be able to deal wisely with God. And you'll even be able to deal wisely with yourself. And so there's that invitation. Will we respond to that? Or will we respond to the other invitation? Look what Folly says in, in verse uh, 13. It says, a foolish woman is clamorous, she is simple, and knows nothing. For she sits at the door of her house on a seat by the highest places of the city to call to those who pass by, who go straight on their way, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And as for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of hell. And so we're going to get these invitations. Um, and believe it or not, you have to choose one. You have to choose one. Whether you will follow the invitation of the Father to wisdom or you'll follow the invitation of folly to destruction. 
And here you have, in one sense, the antithesis, right? There's this, uh, again, personification of wisdom. She's glamorous. Uh, she's boisterous. She's defiant. She's ignorant, but she doesn't even know it. Uh, she tries to woo you into her house. Why? Because there's stolen water there. And you can eat your bread in secret. You know, and it, it's hard for us, I think, in one sense, to understand the concept of stolen water. But in those days, water was a precious commodity. And any of you guys ever steal anything? I'm just curious. <laughs> I remember one time I went into the, uh, the, the clothing store. Oh, I, should, I shouldn't tell you guys. I shouldn't brag about the times I stole, huh? I mean, I started stealing as a little kid. I don't know what was wrong with me. Believe it or not, I used to go to a parochial school, St. Christopher's. And after going to school, I would walk home and I'd have a backpack, backpack and we'd go into this uh, store, I think it was called Long's Drugs, and we'd go in the toy store and we'd just put our, you know, real cool, get a toy here, and just plop, put it in the backpack. I'm just a little third grader. I mean, it's crazy, but when you're stealing something, uh, unfortunately, there is that adrenaline. There is kind of like that excitement of the whole thing. And, and that's kind of what they're saying right here, that, that stolen water is sweet. There's something about that forbidden fruit that for whatever reason it has its appeal to the flesh. And that's what this woman, this uh, personification of, of wisdom is saying, is saying, hey, come to my house. And we can enjoy this type of excitement. The simple man, he doesn't know any better. He just knows his flesh wants to be fed in bed. And you've been given that strong you know, sex drive. And one woman in, in life couldn't possibly satisfy you. And so she, you know, he's saying, I didn't go looking for her. She came looking for me. It was meant to be. It's secret. No one will see. But God sees everything. And that's where the fear of the Lord kicks in again. I mean, he sees everything. And when that really, I mean, when I got saved, that changed my life. Immediately, God made me sexually pure. Because God changed my life. And he put that inside of me. You know, we, we should fear him. Don't you fear him? You should. We know him. And you know, the cool thing is, like, he's talking about knowing God. When you get to know God, you will love God. And you won't sin. You won't go into sin with eyes wide open. You know, don't answer this invitation, you guys. The enemy is always going to be there calling you. You know, consider the destination. Look at verse 18. It says, He does not know that the dead are there, that her guests or in the depths of hell. And we read that in Proverbs 2.18. We read that in uh, Proverbs 7.27. I mean, this is what sexual sin does. The Bible talks about how no one who's sexually immoral will enter the kingdom of God. You know, I remember one time I was guest speaking at a church. Don't worry, it wasn't Calvary Chapel Almani. But I was a guest speaking at a church and afterwards there were people you know, that wanted to talk and this one guy came up, man, and you know, it was kind of cool. I thought, wow, this guy, the Lord's really doing a good work in this guy's life. I mean, it was just exciting to hear the things that he was saying. But then he started telling me about how 
you know, there was a, a girl that, that wanted to, to be with him and, uh, and he was telling her, well, you know, I don't want to do it unless it's something you really are interested in. I don't want you to think that it's something that I'm, you know, making happen. I mean, it's, you know, totally mutual. And I, and I just, and, this, and, I, and I stopped him in his tracks. I mean, here's a guy that was amening to the Bible study and he was sitting in the front row. Don't worry, I'm not talking about you guys, but I'm just saying, I mean, it's just crazy. And then, um, and then he tells me that he's, you know, he's okay with that. And I just told him, no sexually immoral person will enter the kingdom of God. You can't be okay with that. And, 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 he, and he said, okay, I'll pray about it. And what's he doing? He's, he's answering this invitation, the foolish one. We have to be so careful. And that's why, you know, of course, girls and guys can, can definitely be... Uh, you know, just destroyed by this. But I really want to encourage you guys, man, make sure you weed out all wickedness. Make sure no lust linger. Make sure you don't look where you're not supposed to look or think or anything like that because that's how the enemy gets in. You know, for, for, the, for the unrepentant, it's the ultimate price. And that's why, to be honest with you, that's why I like reading a proverb every day because you're going to see a lot of sexual warnings in the Proverbs. And I think that we need it, right? Someone will say, well, why does he repeat it all the time? It's like I tell you guys, it's repeated so we won't be defeated, right? Some lose their soul through sex. Some lose their position through passion. Some lose their family through fornication. All lose their peace when they live a life of impurity. It's just not worth it. And so my encouragement to you is reject the invitation to folly and choose to respond to God's invitation to wisdom and direction. Now the Bible says in Revelation twenty-two, seventeen, in the spirit and the bride, that's a church, they say come and that him who hears come and that him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely.